Life Audio. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? Or have you been in a season where it feels like He's completely silent? Have you been praying for a way to learn how to hear His voice more clearly? Hey friends, I'm Rachel, host of the Hearing Jesus Podcast. If you are ready to grow in your faith and to confidently step into your identity in Christ, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. This is a devotional podcast, and if you haven't been following along, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the previous episodes because we're working through an introduction to the Gospels where we're going through one chapter a day or maybe even a little bit less than a chapter a day to really make sure you're understanding what you're reading. I like to give a lot of the background and the history and the culture because that's the way I like to study, and a lot of people like to study that way as well. If you're looking for additional resources, we have Bible studies, we have journals, we have journaling prompts, all sorts of things. You can head to shehears.org for some free resources there. So today we're going through Matthew chapter 5, and we're picking up where we left off yesterday. We're starting at verse 21, and this week I'm reading from the New American Standard Version Bible. And just a quick note about translations. I'm reading from this translation today, but so often I will read from different translations depending on my mood or depending on the kind of audience I'm teaching to. And I want to encourage you not to get too hung up on that. The best translation is one that you're going to read consistently and understand. So today we're starting from verse 21 in chapter five of the book of Matthew. It says, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not murder and whoever commits murder shall be answerable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answerable to the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be answerable to the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. Be first reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Come to good terms with your accuser quickly while you are with him on the way to court so that your accuser will not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will not be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last quadrants. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, if your right eye is causing you to sin, tear it out and throw it away from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body for then your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand is causing you to sin, cut it off and throw it away from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now it was said, whoever sends his wife away is to give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, take no oath at all, neither by heaven, for it is the throne of God, nor by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you take your oath by your head, for you cannot make a single hair white or black. But make sure your statement is yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil origin. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. 
But I say to you, do not show opposition against an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other toward him also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may prove to yourselves to be sons of father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors, do they not do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Even the Gentiles, do they not do the same? Therefore, you shall be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. So this is quite a long passage today. And a lot of this passage is self-explanatory. So there's some things that I'm going to skip over that I think are pretty easy for you to understand at a service level. But there are other things that I want to make sure that we get into just culturally. I think sometimes we miss some things. So if you're just joining us, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, which was a sermon that Jesus gave on a hillside to his disciples outside of Galilee. And ideally, this content is one of the things that Jesus is using to disciple the disciples, to teach them. And some things that I want to point out to make sure that we have a good understanding are things that have to do with the culture, that maybe with this first century Jewish culture, they understood it. So Jesus didn't explain it. But sometimes we are so separated and we're in a different time and space that we have to have some additional explanations to kind of get what he's saying. And one of the things I say on the podcast all the time is that although scripture was written for us, it was not originally written to us. It was written to an ancient people group that lived in an agrarian society, like a farming society, and they understood things differently than what we do. Now, Matthew, as Matthew is writing, he's writing to a primarily Jewish audience. And even though the message was for the Gentiles, people like you and me that perhaps are not Jewish, the understanding of this original audience, there was things that he did not have to explain to the Jewish people. Let's start with verse 22. It says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answerable to the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be answerable to the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now, there's a couple of phrases here that I want to make sure we understand. When it's talking about the Supreme Court, that would be like the Sanhedrin. And depending on the version that you're reading, it might even say the Sanhedrin. That first phrase that he says, though, you good for nothing, that comes from this word raka, which means empty headed. And it's essentially a personal attack. In that culture, name calling was really offensive because in that culture, they place such a high significance on their names. And by calling someone a name, you were stripping them of their significance and their identity on top of just insulting them. The second phrase, you fool. That comes from the word mora. And calling a person a fool, likewise, was also highly insulting because the moral connotations that were attached to that term were really offensive. It goes into detail in this in Proverbs chapter 10. And actually throughout the the Proverbs, we learn about the fool. And so the understanding of what a fool was, it was highly insulting to call somebody a fool. That Hebrew word for mora means rebel. And it indicates a person who was persistently in rebellion against God. More likely, 
than it coming from the Hebrew word, root word, though, is it was coming from the Greek word. Now, you have to remember, there was a lot of Hebrew in the New Testament, but it was translated into Greek because Greek was the language of the day. So sometimes we're looking at root words of the Hebrew because the Hebrew people spoke the Hebrew language. Sometimes we're looking at the Greek because this second half of the Bible was written in Greek. That was the language of the day. And sometimes Jesus would speak in Aramaic when he was speaking to the local people in his hometown for instance. But most likely, scholars believe that this is an expression that's coming from the Greek term moros, and that's where we get the English word moron. So it's an indication of a person that's basically being a moron. That's what that that phrase is meaning. And then the last phrase I want to mention in this verse is that phrase, the fire of hell. So let me reread the verse for you so you remember what I'm talking about. It says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answerable to the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, or you empty-headed moron, (laughs) essentially is what it's saying there, shall be answerable to the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go to the fiery hell. Well, that fiery hell or the fire of hell, depending on the version you're reading, comes from this term Gehenna. And Gehenna was a valley in the area of Hinnom, the son of Hinnom, ruled over this one particular area. And in that valley, it was an area to the west and the southwest of Jerusalem. That's where King Ahaz and King Manasseh sacrificed their sons to Molech. And Molech was basically a false god that they created, that it was this huge fire, and they would take their firstborn sons and throw them into this fire. It's part of a dark season in Israel's history. And then later, at the time frame when Jesus would have been saying this, This valley was used as a place to burn all the garbage from Jerusalem. So the constant burning and, of course, the smell that would be coming from that made the valley an appropriate reference when they were talking about the fires of punishment. And so the apocalyptic writers at the time, the Jewish writers, would begin to call this Valley of Hinnom the entrance to hell and later was referred to as hell itself. So culturally, Jesus was referring to a specific literal place But he was doing that to represent hell itself because that's what it represented in their culture. Jumping down to verse 26, it says, Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last quadrants. So this is said in reference to Jesus warning them to settle your stuff out of court because if you end up going to court, you're going to end up having pay every last cent, every last penny. A quadrants was... The sum of about one sixty fourth of a denarius, which was a day's wages. And so it's, it's basically like a penny. It was really, really tiny. It was about 18 millimeters. And his point in saying that is you're going to be punished and you're going to have to pay every single last cent if you end up taking this to court. And instead of getting to that place, try to settle out of court. Try to not even let it get that far. And, and essentially it's not just about the court system and having to pay these fines. It's about this idea of conflict and not allowing conflict to progress to that point because there is going to be consequences for conflict. It's much better to deal with things at the root. Moving down to verse 28, it says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, and he's talking about this idea of lust. God condemns the people of Israel for spiritual adultery over and over. And it's not just when they're worshiping actual pagan idols like Molech that I referenced, but it's when Israel's heart and eyes are desiring other gods. 
Think about the time when, and maybe you don't know this, but Moses was up on the mountain listening from God, getting directions from God, and the people felt like he was up there too long. And by the time he comes down, they had created this golden calf and were worshiping this golden calf. And over and over, what we see in Israel's history is this desire for a king. And so much so that when they want a king and they don't have a king, they create a king. They create these false gods that they then worship. And we see this spiritual adultery come up over and over in the history of Israel. The Jewish people that were listening to this understood this idea of adultery was not just a physical act, but it was an emotional and a spiritual act. Moving down to verse 29, it says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Now, if we took that literally, none of us would have eyeballs left. And I want to make sure you recognize that there is different kinds of literature that are used within the Gospels. In fact, every single book of the Bible typically has lots of different kinds of literature even inside of it. So even though the Gospels, we spent a lot of time talking about this at the onset of, of the series, it's the genre is the Gospel. It's basically a biography of Jesus's life. It's a historical narrative. There is still different kinds of literary devices that the authors use. This is an example of hyperbole. And if you don't remember from English class in high school, that's okay. A hyperbole is a deliberate exaggeration. And it's done both in their culture and in our language, in our culture, for the sake of emphasizing something. So emphasizing the seriousness of being single-minded and single-eyed and single-handed in this commitment to your spouse. And so if you think about that in terms of what it might represent, if there is, say, for instance, an office romance, or maybe not even office romance, but maybe just someone that you are in the office with that you find attractive or you really enjoy engaging a conversation with, what he's essentially saying is don't allow that to take root in your life. Cut it off at, at, at the knees. If there's something that you find yourself attracted to and you are married to somebody else, cut that thing off. Don't spend time alone with them. Don't take private lunches with them. Don't go into meetings alone with them. And so essentially what he's talking about is protecting that marriage covenant and also protecting that relationship covenant that we have with God. If there is a temptation to read certain kinds of fiction books that are leading you down a path that you know is not God's best for you, that can be something that you need to just throw that book out. Stop reading those kinds of books or TV or whatever it is. You can kind of determine that in your own life. But but recognize, though, that this is not talking about plucking your eyeballs out. It's talking about doing away with things that are going to lead you to sin. It talks about divorce in this next section, which we're going to spend some time on when we get to Matthew chapter 19. Instead of spending time there, I want to go down to verse 33, where it talks about vows and oaths. It says, again, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. It's talking about do not break your oath. Well, in the Old Testament, God often guarantees the fulfillment of a promise with an oath. And people in that culture also did the reversal. They would swear to God in order to seal their oath. It's kind of like how we would say now, oh, no, I swear, I swear, I swear on my mother's grave. It's kind of that same kind of cultural understanding, except they took it a lot more seriously. They would literally swear to God. And so what the Pharisees did is they developed a series of rulings about these kinds of oaths. And they essentially had two different kinds of oaths. They had a positive oath, which was a promise to do something. 
And then they had a negative oath, which was a promise not to do something. And so there was a tendency among some of these people to almost have like a permission to mean that, for example, the oaths that were made by invoking the name of the Lord, like I swear to God or I'm swearing, you know, this oath by my allegiance to the Lord. Those were the only ones that were binding. And so if they weren't really serious about their oath, they would say things like, well, I swear by heaven. Or if they didn't invoke the literal name of God, they're basically saying it's not binding. So there was this tendency to try to find these loopholes because of how the Pharisees were developing these rulings. And they're trying to find these loopholes in the oath included things like swearing by things that didn't quite matter as much, less sacred things. So they would swear by the earth or they would swear by Jerusalem. And so that basically devalued those vows or those oaths. And it kind of gave an opportunity for some of these Jewish groups, these Jewish people to warn against using any kind of oath too often. So that's why he goes on to say, just let your yes be yes. And you're no, you know, you don't need to make any kind of oath. And so he's talking about these kinds of oaths where they're they're swearing on all sorts of different kinds of things. For example, that would be like, oh, if I swear, I swear in the Bible or I swear to God or I swear on my Xbox. He's saying, just don't do any of that. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. A simple yes or no should be enough for a trustworthy person. This is getting into verse 37 now. And The book of James talks about this and teaches on this in James chapter five. But essentially, and remember, Jesus is talking to the disciples. And so we can glean this information for ourselves too. a disciple's word or a Christian's word should be considered trustworthy as trustworthy as a signed document or contract. And so Jesus goes further and suggests that anything beyond a yes and a yes or a no and a no is coming from this evil source because there's this room for deception and manipulation there. And as people of God, we want to be honest in everything that we do. Verse 39 says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek to him. And then it goes on and talks about the cloak and the tunic. It's interesting because in that culture, I want to point this out because I think it's super interesting. The tunic was basically undergarments that people would wear. It was long sleeved and it was like an inner robe that they would wear similar to like a nightgown. And that is what people would wear next to the skin. And by the men, it would be a little bit shorter. By the women would be about ankle length. The cloak was the outer robe which was worn and it was an indispensable piece of clothing. In fact, they would use it as a blanket at night and sometimes it would be given in a pledge, but then it would be returned before sunset. It was basically a symbolic way to pledge something. And so when he says, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. He's essentially just saying at this point, it's not worth the argument. We don't want to be people of conflict. We want to be people of peace. 41 says, If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Again, this is a reference to the culture at the time where there was royal post officers in that Persian environment that would force civilians to carry mail, basically. And then, of course, there was Roman military personnel that would organize bands of unpaid local people, laborers, and they would have to create roads and create buildings. I mean, they were really basically forced into this forced labor system. And so... The most familiar passage you're probably familiar with in the New Testament scene is when Simon of Cyrene was forced by the Roman guards to carry the cross of Jesus. So basically what he's saying is we're looking at at this opportunity to serve people and 
through the obedient heart that seeks to serve people, you can make an impact, you can make a difference. Again, this was a cultural understanding that they would have had to understand what he was getting at, what he was talking about. And then the last point I want to make, it talks about in verse 48, it says, therefore, you shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, for me, I think for a long time, I really struggled with that verse because I thought there's no way I'm ever going to measure up to that. That idea of being perfect does not mean without sin. It means to be complete. It's perfect. It's a picture of completion. You know, when I teach this to children and even in the children's episode, if you're to listen to it, we talk about this God-shaped hole in our heart that we all have. And we try to fill it with all these different things, with money and alcohol and sex and status, whatever it is. And until we fill that hole with God's spirit by accepting Jesus and inviting him into our lives, we're going to be incomplete. So when it talks about being perfect as your heavenly father is perfect in heaven, It's that picture of perfection, completion. And as we invite Jesus into our heart and it permeates us from the inside out, that's this idea of perfection. Now, we're always going to be a work in progress. And until we get to the other side of heaven, that is not going to be complete. But as much as it can be complete on earth, that's what he's talking about. So given that insight, I'm going to go back and reread verses 21 through 43. It says, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not murder and whoever commits murder shall be answerable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answerable to the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing shall be answerable to the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Come to good terms with your accuser quickly while you are with him on the way to court so that your accuser will not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will not be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last quadrants. You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in her heart. Now, if your right eye is causing you to sin, tear it out and throw it away from you. For it is better to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand is causing you to sin, cut it off and throw it away from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now it was said, whoever sends his wife away is to give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, take no oath at all, neither by heaven, for it is the throne of God, nor by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you take an oath by your head, for you cannot make a single hair white or black. But make sure your statement is yes, yes, or no, no. Anything else beyond is of evil origin. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I say to you, do not show opposition against an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other toward him also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. 
You heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors, they do not do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Even the Gentiles, do they not do the same? Therefore, you shall be perfect, even as your heavenly father is perfect. God, we thank you for this picture of perfection in you, not that we are without sin, not that we shouldn't be striving to be obedient to you, but this idea of completion, completion in you. God, it seems so hard to do some of these things that that you reference in your word, yet we know that that's the life that you've called us to, a life that is sacrificial and giving and loving and serves people. God, help us to see people in our lives the way that you do. And then when we get tripped up on some of these things, God, I pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit to empower us to live the way that you've called us to live. I ask for a blessing on the life of my friends today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, friends, have a good afternoon. Hey friends, before you go, I want to make sure you know about our Patreon page. The Patreon page is really a place to gain all sorts of resources specifically for the Hearing Jesus podcast and the Hearing Jesus for Kids podcast. There's a specific and dedicated private Facebook group, which is a place for me to interact with you, to pray with you, to answer questions. I'd love it for you to join us there. And there's also another level that gives you the inside scoop on everything else that's going on. The journaling prompts are there. If you've been with us for some time, you know that I usually do journaling prompts that helps us get that information from the head to the heart. We have a downloadable daily prayer prompt that helps you get that information processed in a way that affects your daily life. There's also a Bible reading tracker on there. There's bonus episodes, lots of things on an ongoing basis, a place where you can get all the resources to help you grow in your faith. And the second thing I want to mention to you is the Dawn app, which if you've never heard of that before, I have good news for you. I just recently recorded a series for the Dawn app and also did some writing for them. And it's a daily Bible study and prayer app that is completely free. The link for that is in the show notes. And then the last thing I'm super excited about, I want to tell you that we're going to start having opportunities for travel. This is going to look a couple different ways, depending on what you're looking for, but it's going to cover things like mission trips in-person retreats, and also eventually a Bible study trip to Rome. What I'm doing right now is I'm getting everybody's contact information so we can start communicating about what that might look like. So if you are interested in any of that, you can head to shehears.org for more information. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you in your walk with God, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, bonus content, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Know that you are so loved. Keep going.